You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is the Good Pop Culture Club episode 142. Um, my name is Marvin Nguyen and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the once and future self-proclaimed professional Asian American, Just You. Hey Marvin. I know, it's like, it's like I can't get away from it. It's good. I am finally over my sinus infection. Yay. And, or for the most part, and you know, things are, things are looking up. Knock on wood. Yeah. Also joining us, the most professional of culture editors, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. Hey. How's it going? I'm all right. Just a little punchy. We are. So um, we were going to talk about the finale to Physical 100 since the last episode aired, um, technically last night as of our recording, but I have not watched it yet. So uh, finale talk is off limits, but... Um, Jess, you have binged this show for the over the last few days. Yes, I'm. A, I am a, not one for subtitles, surprisingly, because for, for when I watch things like for casually, because mm-hmm. I like to do other things while I watch TV. But this has like enthralled me. Um, Physical 100 and just the uh the cinematic flourishes, the the extra. <laughs> The little, the little drama queen producer who's like coming up with this shit. I was like, mm, chef's kiss. I want to kiss you. <laughs> it is a very um, watchable show, um, even though it does that. I don't know if um, how you feel about the Korean game show thing of like replaying a scene 10 times every time something happens. <laughs> I think that's ju- that is just a convention of Korean reality TV and you just kind of have to accept it. It does, you know, drag the episode along. But um, I I think that comes hand in hand with also the Korean convention of the peanut gallery commentary, which is really fun. So I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, my thing is like Netflix only translate for some reason. They only translate like the first intro and every other time, like a name flashes on screen. It's not translated. And, you know, you're not spending a lot of time with individually with these folks. There's like 100 contestants. So you're kind of like, wait, which one is that? But it's fine because everyone's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Everyone is kind of hot. I do agree that I, I wish they would translate even like the like whenever someone shows up as a talking head they have their name and their profession but i do not read korean so i don't know what they are so like i only know like the people that show up again and again which often turn out to be the ones that make it further down the road anyways and my favorite has been like the um the strongman contestant um who um made it to the final like his description isn't like strongman competitor it's car dealer you know i have a feeling that he got to choose (laughs) he wants to be known as a car dealer he's just maybe it's like the hustle right it's like oh you're just a car dealer like let's underestimate you i mean who knows maybe he lifts the cars you know maybe maybe he's a car dealer like a poker dealer but he like just throws cars around for fun you get a car you get a car (laughs) oprah i would watch that show I Texas Hold'em, yeah. but cars. But cars. <laughs> Again, I just, the the extraness of this entire show, like, you know, leading up to this finale, the challenge based off Greek myths, recreating Greek myths. My goodness. 
I, I maybe I'm making assumptions. I truly believe one of the producers, at least one of the producers, is a gay person because recreating gay, recreating Greek myths is the gayest thing I've ever heard, and I and and I mean that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, the thing is, it's like not that many people are out in Korea, so I'm sure there's a lot of. <clears throat> I mean, there's a good percentage. That has to be gay, even in the competition, right? Yeah, I, I'm just yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Bake Off vibes of Physical 100, and it's pretty like it's pretty cool to see everyone being super comfortable with just commenting. Everyone's like, "Oh man, your muscles are really good." It's like, "Wow, you're so strong!" Wow, look at those thighs. Damn, I know, I know. Um, I mean, we can we can go into a whole dissertation about how like the you know male gaze as it applies to men because. Mm-hmm. This is it. Um, but it is it is quite wholesome. You would not expect such a I don't I guess you wouldn't necessarily expect the com- this community to be so respectful. That might be a I don't know if an American physical hunter would be that respectful. I feel like it would not. We'd be more like American gladiator-esque. There'd definitely yeah. be more. I mean, this show isn't devoid of ego. Like half of these guys are like super egotistic. Um, and I mean, we can probably talk about this when we do our full debrief later on. But throughout the show, there are also like you get to see the seams of like Korean male misogyny, misogyny and toxic masculinity show up here and there in like very subtle ways. But it's there if you know where to look. Yes. And I and I do think there are some challenges that could have been better designed to be more equitable mm-hmm. um, or <laughs> prioritize different abilities right because i do think this still leaned overall the show leaned very heavily on just strength pure strength yeah i think there was a double bait and switch because when i went into the show kind of like when i first went into singles inferno i was like oh great this is all going to be about like one type of like ideal right like everyone in singles inferno has to in their intro package they have to say how they they're attractive and sexy so i was like why do i want to watch this where everyone's just praising themselves and so this one they do the same thing is they make each of them say how strong they are but i think that's just part of the convention of like setting it up and then at the beginning you realize a few of these challenges are like oh that's kind of fair that was smart so like the big bulky guys don't have the advantage but then in the middle they go back to strength. And that's when I was just like, oh, you got me excited about this show. <laughs> and now I'm kind of angry. Um, even even though the the big challenge that, you know, that probably made me kind of pissed off, but was still fascinating, which was uh, moving a 1.5 ton ship. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so, like that challenge, yeah. it ended up being more exciting because the second and third place were so close and the underdog team actually got close mm-hmm. to winning. Um, mm-hmm. specifically because the underdog team um, played smarter, but the, um, let's call it the meathead team, was able <laughs> to pull it off just by brute strengthening, like brute forcing it. Um, yeah. But I do, yeah, I, I do see, like, it's it makes you think about, like, okay, the show is trying to say that everyone can compete with each other. Like, that's kind of their, like, it's like the, a very meritocracy type of argument. But at the same time, I also see that that's probably the philosophy and, and outlook that most of the contestants also have, right? All the women in this competition probably do believe that, like, I don't want to get, be given special treatment against these dudes. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want the women separated from the men because that's what like other sports are for. This is purely a competition when they talk about when they were talking about ideal body type. I think that's what was fascinating is that it's a range of body types and you start um, acknowledging, oh, my gosh, this person's so strong, even though they look smaller than me, you know. And so it's kind of like each of them, the sportsmanship comes in when they start understanding and respecting a different body type from what they know. Like, let's say the bodybuilders realize like the wiry people are actually strong um, or have stamina or something like that. And so I think because the ship thing um pissed me off was it did eliminate a lot of women not all of them but it eliminated a lot of women because they were in the underdog team yeah and i I feel like yeah and we didn't get to see them have a fair equitable treatment in the semifinals because they weren't there (laughs) yeah and i mean that's kind of the slight way that like massage stuck into this show is because there's a reason why that team was the underdog team Right. It was a choice. It was a choice by the actual contestants to join certain teams. And then it was kind of the leftovers. So yeah. it's um, it, that's where <laughs> definitely misogyny came in. And I felt angry about that because initially when there was teams chosen and definitely the misogyny was at play, the challenge right after it, the build, uh, the bridge building was actually fairly equitable. It it um, it actually tested people on several different types of skills so um efficiency speed strength um mental fortitude you know yeah strategy so i felt like that was fair and it that's why you know we got some good results there where people were surprised um whereas definitely the ship one was just like yeah strength is a huge factor in this one um so it, it doesn't mean that i dislike the show but it did sort of get my you know, get my goat a little bit. Um, I highly assume there's going to be a second season. I think there's no reason that they shouldn't. It was in the top 10 for um, in the U.S. every single week that it was on. And then I believe it's been the number one show internationally as far as like non-English speaking. Oh, my God. And this is like so cheap to produce. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, the fact that it's only nine episodes total, it's kind of like Singles Inferno. I was like, why don't they just make 20 Singles Infernos? Because that takes place over eight days. Yeah. So this, I'm pretty sure yeah. the filming takes over like just one week. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel bad. I'm, I would like to know about all the injuries. Oh, and the recovery time. I'm just yeah. like, because if yeah, you're just chosen to go first, mm-hmm. you get more recovery like, downtime, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So that also, I would wonder if that's how, a factor. And, and I assume they don't, they're not living together or anything like that. They're just coming to shoot the challenges. Right. Right. They would have filmed that home. and showed us, right? Yeah. The only time they show kind of a living quarters, it's not like sleeping, it's more of just like hanging out. Um, because then they'd have to figure out the whole men and women situation. Who knows what it would become. But, um, yeah, I what was I going to say about this? Yeah, I, this is the other thing where I, I I I run into a little bit of frustration when it comes to the Korean entertainment business because they are very controlled about how they like to do press, right? And so, you know how you, you see all like Korean press, they all have this sort of the same thing. They all get a very nice answer. Um, like it was an honor to do the, da, 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 I, you know, and they praise their co-stars and stuff like that. They do the two handed wave, you know? Um, so it's not like it's wild 
like the Wild West out here with American press, because while some people are very professional and they answer it correctly, there are a lot of wild card sort of answers. And you, then you get the people who are hungover, you know, doing press and you, and then people who are embarrassing. Um, but then they also allow you to talk to um craft people. So I would love to talk to the production designer for this. And I'm not getting them. Like I I reached out to Netflix and it was crickets. <laughs> Cuz I was just like is there anyone who I could talk to about the design of the challenges and, and it was like no one even bothered <laughs> like responding to me. So um yeah, there's a little bit of frustration, but I guess that like maintains the mystery. Um but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the after shows and stuff like that <laughs> like because we're definitely going to see more from these people yeah i would like to think um not netflix but whatever the production company is for the whole <laughs> um bust yes. um shtick um because not only do we have like busts of people with abs but we have mr car dealer who has a body type <laughs> that i can aspire to which is big yeah. man but strong underneath yeah, I feel like some of these boys are like like big boys, like like the muscles underneath, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, I like, I I respect that, and <laughs> and they did very well. Um, I did pass by a GMC like at the mall recently. <laughs> you know, like they saw all those protein supplements, and I'm like, I have no idea what any of these things do. But you know, after watching Physical 100, I'm like, should I like just take some protein powder and start like. Pump and iron. <laughs> I have a Bowflex at home. It's still not set up. Okay, like what we we got oh it God. like in January, like December, and it's still only halfway set up. And I'm just like, oh, when is I would it totally be set up. This yeah, is the I would totally be using you need that. right here. Yes, yes. It stares at me. It haunts me. It taunts me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, ooh, should I? I should I work out as I say sitting on the couch eating my cheesy pasta? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that is to say. I have not watched the finale yet, so we're going to do yes. our... I always feel like we just did our full debrief, minus the finale, uh, since you, both can, of you have already seen it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe come back to next week and do another 20 minutes on Physical 100. Okay. But, I could talk um, about Physical 100 forever. <laughs> we're going to go one by one, each contestant, and break down um, <laughs> their vibes, what they do, their stats. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> well... We are here this week on the Good Pop Culture Club to discuss the new indie psychological horror film Daughter, directed by Corey Deshawn and starring Vivian No and Casper Van Dien. Um, it is a film that's been on our radar for a while now because um, several members that we know in the Asian American community um, are involved mm-hmm. in it. So excited to dig into that. But before we get to Daughter, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Uh, let's start with Han. What's popping? So I just read this YA book that I found rather amusing just because of what it's about. It's called Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alkoff. It's basically a YA murder mystery set in the world of competitive Scrabble in Malaysia. Um, Whoa, that's a lot of intersections right there. <laughs> right. The protagonist is someone named Najwa Bakri. So she's a hijabi wearing um, Muslim girl and um and these are girls and teens so um so some people compared it to they wish they were us and then they said with a little bit of queen's gambit and i was like not really queen's gambit but i get what they're saying because of the competition and the smarts that these people have i think there's some vibes of gossip girl and um and whatever the other 
other YA things where people die and there's sort of like underhandedness and going on. So um, what I like about it is um, it starts off. This is not a spoiler. This is the actual premise is Trina Lowe is this uh, super hotshot Scrabble player. She's assumed to be getting the main title, which you know, self-appointed queen of the tiles. Um, and when we come into a tournament, uh, all of a sudden she keels over and dies in the middle of a game. Um, her best friend is Najwa. And so then we fast forward to a year later um, where Najwa is finally coming back to playing competitive Scrabble because she was actually the one who introduced Trina to it. The weird thing about Trina was she was sort of like not just a hotshot player, but she was also super popular, super sexy, hot. You know, all the guys want to date her, um, but also had a lot of like enemies. And so it comes about that maybe there's a hint that possibly she was murdered. Um, There are hints with Scrabble. Uh, there's a lot of words and definitions in the book um, for uh, lesser known words. And um, there's a big cast of characters. So you get to know some of the other competitive Scrabble players who had um, relationships with either Najwa or Trina in some way. Um, so, you know, one by one, you kind of sort of construct what happened a year ago and um, and try to figure out what happened. And uh, yeah, so... I feel like this would make a very fun Netflix movie <laughs> um, uh, where you just get a lot of like young, fun, you know, uh, people doing this. And I don't know. I-, I would like to see competitive Scrabble on the screen. I 100 percent believe that a Scrabble player would kill another Scrabble player because outside of Monopoly, that is the one <laughs> game I have been the most angry at losing slash sore loser in. I I have to say it's a frustrating game to me. Like I like words, but I don't like the uh the luck of the draw situation. I think I like Bago better because I can play it faster, you know, and I can like write down several words versus oh crap, I have these this Q and a K and a whatever, you know. So uh, it that's obviously where the skill comes in. <laughs> you have know? you ever gone into an argument whether, whether something was a word or not? <laughs> yes. While playing Scrabble? <laughs> yes. And I am not a competitive Scrabble player as far as like, I don't know all the words that are allowed. So, you know, the two letter words where you lay two words on top of each other and you make la, you know, and all that type of stuff. I don't, I don't know all of those. Um, so I, I've watched... I think documentaries about competitive Scrabble. Um, I've watched all the documentaries on competitive things oh, like that. Board crossword, games, yeah. <laughs> crossword, uh, Rubik's Cube, all those, because those are fun. Yeah. But um, it's definitely a mentality I don't have, but I do find it fascinating. Uh, yeah. So this is, it was just a fun, it was a very fast read. Um, I actually listened to the audiobook because I always, um, I often like to do that when it comes to uh, things where I might not know how to pronounce things. Um and yeah, so it was it was really interesting. So um, I've never actually played Scrabble <laughs> ever. Uh-huh. I've watched people play and I've been the helper, but I've never ah. actually sat down mm-hmm. and like been a player at Scrabble because I did not own a Scrabble board when I was a kid. It's a very nerdy game because you're playing with words and and there is there is a there is like a strategy like I I'm like not a good mm-hmm like long-term strategist like i mm-hmm. i'm very immediate so i'm just like trying to play like 
what works in my exact hand right now. But then there are like people who are very good at like seeing the long game and then they like fuck you over in like the last play because they get like this mega word <laughs> combo shit. And I'm like, fuck you. This was an ex-boyfriend. I, we would play Scrabble a lot. Um, <laughs> and he was like just really good. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like I, like I didn't know this. Was, like, sorry, my parents were immigrants. And like I learned English as a third language. But it's it. But you're right. There's actually extra strategy, not just even word based strategy, but like uh, the the author actually outlines a few strategies where I'm just like, oh, that's Did cool. You take notes? Did you take notes? No, because I'm never going to do it. You know, it's 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 too underhanded for me. Um, and but at the same time, and also it means that I have to play a full game of Scrabble again, you know, to against someone. No, Um but uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. But again, like it's not some of the strategy is not based on just words that, you know, um, but it's also predictive quality, like based off what you think your opponent knows, um, but also like how you um, own the board, like where you put mm-hmm. things. So there's a lot going on there, like triple word scores. If you have a floating letter that people can use, um, you try to trap them, you know, into using just other spaces but yeah it's it's it was fun that the that she was able to write in such a way that i think didn't make it too unclear what she was saying but didn't get bogged down in explanation either there's also so it's also like a little bit of like mahjong where like you could actually like kind of guess or kind of keep track of how many Mm -hmm. tiles have been played because there's a set number of letters per yeah scrabble board or Scrabble set. So that's also but like I've only I've only played with one other person, like two player games. I cannot imagine like if it was like a four, like a four side, a four top game. I would merely just play two letter words like la and ta. And then get into fights whether or not cat, bat, scat. <laughs> All right, Jess. Uh what's popping with you? I have uh, been engaged in a much kinder community than the Scrabble one, which is the Ceramicist. I've been catching up on the Great Pottery Throwdown season six. I don't actually know if it's available in American channels right now. Don't ask how I'm watching it. Um, I will not incriminate myself. But it is as wholesome, as lovely as it has always been. It is filling the Bake Off shaped hole in my heart because really that show has really i gonna say it's gone downhill the vibes are not the same mm. but great pottery throwdown is like like if you think bakers are wholesome ceramicists are the <laughs> softest of soft boys Aww. and ladies in the art world like have you ever met a mean ceramicist i don't think so like your kooky art teacher that you love probably a ceramicist and it is you know competency porn it is the challenges are really fun this year, too. So they're doing the classic Raku firing challenge. That's where you mm-hmm. just basically like burn shit in like a really hot kiln and then put <laughs> organic material. They had to make like um, like realistic animals. They it, they had to make fun lamps. So it's it's been good. You know, the, the show is ho- still hosted. It, it kind of went through a bunch of judge changes and host changes in the first four to five seasons, four seasons. Like they kept switching. But they've, and I think it got canceled and picked up by another channel, but it's really found its stride. We still have Keith Brimer Jones, um, who's like, this show's Paul Hollywood, but he's very nice, very encouraging, and he cries. That's his shtick. When he's moved, um, he cries. And it's not just the like 
art itself. He's just always like very proud of the contestant and how far they've come and how they're pushing themselves to be a better artist. We have Richard Miller, um, you know, who is this this show is more diverse than Bake Off is on the mm. leadership side. So Richard Miller, he's a he's younger, he's black, he's also very kind. Uh their their kill master is a trans woman named Rose. Uh, and and again, it's just a very lovely show. There's a lot of crying, like happy tears. And everything, even criticism is given with like the intention to educate and to be like, well, like, oh, like you see here, it's always, it's all, they always do the compliment sandwich. It's like, oh, like this broke off, but like you got really nice form here. Like, oh, you didn't meet the, like the height requirement, but like, look, the shape is so good. Well, you are getting there. You are getting there. You just need a few more minutes. You're fine. The contestants are really kind to each other. They support each other. They hug each other when things go wrong. And like, dude, I've tried doing ceram- ceramics, like the pot, like throwing on a wheel. It's so fucking hard. <laughs> Talk about core strength. Like to push the clay, it takes a lot of strength, depending on how much clay you use. And the thing that always gets me is like the wheel spinning and you're supposed to like move your hands up to pull the clay up. But like, it's moving, so it's like not consistent. So like, yeah, I fucked up my bowl; it almost collapsed. So respect to these, it makes me very happy. I would highly recommend it. There's also a backlog of five seasons on HBO Max if you want to watch that. And I, yes, I have a question because mm-hmm. it takes strong hands to do this. Could someone from a pot? Uh, could a potter be on Physical One Hundred? Like if the <laughs> if the challenge is like gripping something, maybe um they are quite soft and they're quite elderly, so I don't know how well they will do. They look quite frail. What um, if it's you know, physical all- with hundred? Everyone has to be over hundred. <laughs> yes, then I think the Potters have a chance. Um, I would not want to oh watch God, that show I would... because I feel like then it, it would really be a death so game. Badly. Yeah. Like, could you imagine if, like, big big boy car dealer just, like, took out, like, your, like, 70-year-old art teacher? That's what it would look like. <laughs> um, but, yes, it's it's really, it's really, it's still got it. They're back in full form. I feel like it took, again, it took a few seasons to really get here. And Siobhan McSweeney, who plays Sister Mary Rose, mm. or what's her name? From from Dairy Girls, who plays a sister Michael, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is is the host, and she's also very oh she's fun fun outside of the habit as well. So would recommend, yeah. But mm-hmm. but Marvin, what I see, you are also in a reality TV. Yeah, I'm also watching mood. some wholesome reality TV competition on HBO Max. Um, I've been watching The Great Soul Food Cook-Off, which is one of the, I guess, one of the few things that um, Mr. Uh, Zaslav brought over in the Discovery merger um, that has been a net positive, I think, for for the, the streamer. Mm-hmm. Um, the Great Soul Food Cook-Off, I think, originally aired on the Oprah Network back in 2021, I want to say. Um, late 2021, early 2022. And similar to the pottery, um, pottery off, was it? Um, pottery throwdown. Yeah, similar to the throw pot- pottery. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has those um, bake-off vibes, I guess, is what we'll call it. Like, everyone competing is competitive, but also everything's good-natured. Um, by the nature of being a soul food cook-off, all of the contestants and judges are black. And man, 
what a difference it makes to not have any white people in a competitive um, show um, because it's like um, we all like if you're a person of color, you, you're you're familiar with the uh, phenomenon known as going to an event and finding the corner with all the people of melanin, right? <laughs> um, you're just less on edge, right? And I think that's the thing I love the most about watching this show is everyone just seems to be having a good time. There's still egos, you know, there's chefs, there's a lot of sniping back and forth, but overall, everyone's, the vibes are very positive and very good. And because it is a show about soul food, um, there's a lot of um, opportunity for talking about history and the uncomfortable histories of Black food and Black people in America, um, which the show does really well. And so I've been having a really good time. Um, the judges, one of the judges is Eric um, Ajapong, who is a former, mm. um, he was in, I forgot which season of Top Chef he was in, but he went pretty deep. He's the one that he was super in the, into, He was in the Kentucky season. Yeah, he's the one that's super into West African Macau, food. Right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, Chef Chris Scott, who is also, I think he was in the season before that. He's like kind of the the older chef. Um, he's also in it. He's doing pretty well. And it's just, it's a very like, you know, Top Chef is kind of like the the top tier cooking shows, right? And any show that's not Top Chef, I find myself bouncing off of sometimes just because like the competition, the challenges, or even the contestants, for some reason, they don't like, they don't... It becomes like like I find like a lot of the some of the reality shows like it's it becomes too reality and less cooking like yeah. like all the Food Network show like reality shows are just very like spectacly and like loud and, and yeah exactly less about the cooking and um, with this show it does have like that competence porn aspect of Top Chef um, and it's really well produced so I've been we've been <laughs> we've been rotating um, this show. Physical 100 and Poker Fix. Oh. That's kind of like our rotation right now. So, so like, do you oscillate between just wanting to eat, like, large heaping piles of fried pork chops and, like, working out at the gym? Yeah. <laughs> which which wolf will win, Marvin? <laughs> it just, yeah. Look at all these people doing stuff at a level in which I will never be able to, to do myself. It's just a buffet of competence reality television viewing. And yes. I think that's just like, that's, that's where I want to be. Also watching mm-hmm. some people act real good on Poker Face. Also very good. Yes. We <laughs> like it when people are good at their jobs. <laughs> exactly. How about that? But yeah, uh, the great Soul Food Cook-Off is streaming now on um, HBO Max, which so definitely check it out. And with that, that'll do it for what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're checking out the new indie psychological horror film, Daughter. Uh, stick around. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lunyang. You might might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. 
<clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this week, we're checking out the new indie psychological horror film, Daughter, which is um, available now on video on demand. It is written and directed by Corey Deshaun and notable for starring a cast of Vietnamese American actors, including uh, Vivian No, Elise Din, Ian Alexander, and Megan Lay. Um, and I guess one white dude, Casper uh, Van Dien. Uh, the film follows Vivian No's character, who starts off the film unnamed, um, who was kidnapped by Catherine Van Dien's character, known only as Father, to take her role as the daughter of his family and be a surrogate sister to his son, played by Ian Alexander. And they are trapped in a remote house, um, along with um, another character, played by Elise Din, known as Mother, um, because the outside world is quote-unquote polluted. So the film follows Vivian No's character, known now as Sister, as she tries to survive and hopefully escape from this creepy, creepy family. So that's pretty much the gist of the film. Um, as always, we'll start off our discussion with a spoiler-free section before moving on to a spoiler zone after the credits. Um, so let's get started. Uh what did we all think of Daughter? So not my typical movie pick. Um, I don't like anything in the horror realm. I don't typically like anything, um, you know, I, I don't like like slow burn indies usually, uh, which sometimes you can't tell if it is until you get into the movie. Um, but, you know, disclaimer, I do know a lot of the artistic team. And I thought for... Knowing kind of the confounds of how they shot this film, especially during COVID, this was shot during COVID. Um, I thought it was a really creative use of uh, those really creative story and, and a great use of the ramificate. Like, I guess the, 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 what do you call it? Like the restrictions to tell a very specific story. And I thought the performances were really fantastic. Um, including Casper Van Dien, a.k.a. Johnny Rico from <laughs> Starship Troopers, um, as his very menacing father. Um, I think overall, some of the things didn't land for me um, uh, in terms of just the some of the answers. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if it was um, um, just, yeah, it seemed a little bit like, like not ha- even half inch, but like like an eighth unfinished. Um, towards the end and um but but i do think overall like it was a very entertaining effort i know like this movie considering like how little money it was made for like so well produced so well shot production design costume like such a clear view um so even if it didn't quite land or make as much sense for me as a whole um, I, w- I would actually, I-, I like this more than I thought I would. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, friends. I did I did also give to this GoFundMe, kind of fully expecting to hate this. Because, <laughs> again, not my jam. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it more than I expected it to. You know, you're allowed to not like something you gave money to. In fact. Yes, I'm very, very pro <laughs> that. So, like, 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 you know, when I saw that, when I heard the concept, I'm like, oh, I'm probably never going to watch this. But yeah, like I support, I love supporting young filmmakers or, you know, people who just want to do it outside of the system. It is so fucking hard to make anything, let alone something this polished 
um, at this level. And and again, I think Corey, the director, is is really really talented, and he definitely had a view, and he got some really really good performances out of his actors, who I'm familiar with some of their work, but like I didn't th- I didn't know Casper Van Dien could do that. <laughs> you know, he's hit or miss because I've seen him be really bad at things, but sometimes he's he's pretty pretty decent. Yeah, because I think he's someone who needs the direction. Some actors are so good, it doesn't matter what they're in, they kind of know what to do. You can they're kind of like self directing. Um but you know, Casper Van Dien, I I've heard behind the scenes stories about Starship Troopers that he like was the only one who didn't understand it was a satire. <laughs> and that's why the movie works to the level it does, Starship Troopers. God, that makes so much Probably sense. Probably the most powerful, right? That makes so much sense, right? But that's why it's really really funny. Um and, and very effective as a satire. So again, I think in the right hands, I think in the right hands, any actor has a place, even how quote bad or good they are. Um, so he's utilized really well. And, and I know throughout when we watched this, we all watched it together. We were talking about like just the details of like the set design and the costuming and just everything was like, nothing seemed like thrown away. Yeah. What do you think about daughter? Um, yeah, so I'm the kind of person who doesn't see mainstream horror usually, and so, but I do say that I like certain disturbing, um, I don't know, atmospheric type horror. I definitely like fantastical horror with like creatures and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm not gonna see a regular slasher film. Um, so this one actually fulfilled uh, sort of the the small niche where I would see it, which is atmospheric, a thriller, kind of a mindfuck sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And um, I think maybe the things that you found frustrating, Jess, I actually enjoyed um, because I did feel that you're right. Everything felt incredibly detailed and 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 deliberate like down to all like the set dressing the actual uh costuming i thought the dialogue was very good and the way they delivered it and therefore i did think that a lot of these sort of like unanswered questions i felt were deliberate um and uh it kind of made me okay with that i mean i sometimes i think it comes when it comes to literature that happens a lot too um and maybe that sort of fits for me in my head with an indie film so mm-hmm. um whereas definitely if i was like seeing a mainstream film i'd been like these are plot holes <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um so this one i think because it's a weird mystery i was okay with certain questions still being mysteries and it will allow us uh, when we talk spoilers to talk about what those mysteries are and we can disagree about like, well, I think it's this. Um, I also think because if we're talking about Casper Van Dien, um, that there's also dark humor going on. Um, and we were, we were definitely laughing at certain like line reads and stuff like that because everyone's being 100% serious. It's kind of like when we are talking about succession um, and Jeremy Strong, he says, I play at 100% seriously, you know, um, and he doesn't know he's in a comedy. So I think this is definitely still a thriller, but there are definitely moments where you're going to be like, uh, what was that? Like, that was fucked up, but you're laughing. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoyed it, too. Um, 
I I kind of just knew that it was a little bit of a thriller and that there was something kind of unexpected. And I tried not to watch a trailer. Um, so that way I could be surprised going in. And um, seeing it together with you two definitely helped um, us kind of sort of work it out together. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I I keep wondering would i suggest this to my family and i'm not quite sure because i think they have different tolerances also for answers <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i do acknowledge i'm more of a mainstream movie go where i very um you know as marvin likes to point out fell asleep during green night <laughs> uh, <laughs> missed a whole ass scene and then when i woke up I'm like what the fuck is going on i missed the robbery scene so you know that was kind of important <laughs> as long as you didn't miss the key scene yeah, the, no, I, I saw Comrade, definitely. Um, so, yes, definitely acknowledge but, but that we different tastes. Sure. How about yeah. you, Myron? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely ask, I have a pretty high threshold for um, indie film jank. Um, and <laughs> I wasn't exactly you sure. You truly do. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure what type of indie film we're going to get. I did hear that this film, this film was getting a lot of pretty good critical praise which was a good sign and like jess you know i know i do know a bunch of people who worked on it um uh, on the production side so i didn't go in with like tempered expectations um but even so i was pretty pleasantly surprised like this film definitely punches above its weight in terms mm -hmm. of like the performances and just the general polish and tightness of the film is very well paced very well um, scripted and like Conan just said like this is a it's not a ghost horror which is the type of horror that I most try to avoid um, <laughs> it's like psychological thriller so it's about you know you know it's about a kidnapping you know something's off right like these types of films all about like the vibes are just off <laughs> and yeah, I would say it's unsettling it's yeah. unsettling intense throughout the entire 90 minutes and um, you know to sustain that in the film is actually really really impressive yeah and i do love that like yeah we, we talked a lot about just the production design and just how everything is just so like bland and dare i say white Casper <laughs> van diem is like giving his best like dwight Schrute impression throughout the entire film as a very intense and awkward awkward but powerful white man right yes and the hair the dwight Schrute hair that we noted you know while watching <laughs> that ian his son who plays his son is also subjected to um yes just just no color in this world it like, it's shades of like taupe brown beige <laughs> ecru uh and a little bit of burnt sienna you know, a thrown in yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks super bland, um, yeah. but everyone looks so comfy in there. Yeah, it's such a prison clothes, right? It's a, yeah, it's a different type of vibe. Like, it's all of these sort of earthy tones. Um, but then it's also drawstrings and, like, it looks like cotton. And uh, I think Elise Din's um, main uniform looks pretty good, which is a long sleeve t-shirt dress. Oh, like the sweater dress. And she looks yeah. so cute in it. It's really cute. So I was just like, I'd wear that, you know. Um, maybe I cut off the <laughs> yeah. sleeves. Um, yeah. And, you know, something we have to note is there's a lot of scenes around dinner tables because it invokes like family, normalcy. Um, but all the food looked terrible. 
and which is <laughs> on purpose, on purpose. Yeah, which yeah, it's like white bread, sauceless noodles, untoasted, untoasted white bread, <laughs> no butter. And it's like you know the vibes are off because ostensibly they have a Vietnamese mom who should be making all sorts of bomb food, but you know you have to imagine that she is catering to the taste of this very bland white man. And yeah. you know, I feel like so. The film is written and directed by Corey Deshawn, who is a black man. But it's hard to um, not look at this film and see it as like a an allegory for like not only domestic violence, um, but also like refugee families, especially since the other three leads are of Vietnamese descent. And I think because the three of us are you know members of not only the Asian American community, but also like a community of storytellers. I think it's it's at least for me it was hard not to separate also like the the story of okay the two women in this film the mother and the daughter are have to conform to this white man's like needs and whims in order to survive in like this very dangerous situation. Yeah, I, I there is a lot of interesting stuff going on because to a certain extent we're like there's this white guy and his son is half white, half Vietnamese, presumably, um, because all the rest of them are Vietnamese. So you're like, oh, his wife is Vietnamese, so they have to kidnap a daughter who is Vietnamese, right? <laughs> or at least partly Vietnamese. And um, and so you're like, what does that mean? Also, mm-hmm. is his wife also the original wife? So you're there's that sort of thing where is she along with this? But also, since the wife is Vietnamese and they kidnap a Vietnamese daughter um that means they do actually have this extra element of language um presumably because they do speak vietnamese like it there it would have not worked if it was me because my vietnamese is crap <laughs> uh, so so that was really interesting to me because that that adds a dimension of sort of a bond and yet they're not bonded because they actually don't know each other um and yet so do you actually have a bond with someone who is, you know, shares that language with you um, in such an extreme situation? Uh, are you all always going to be allied against this white guy? <laughs> um, and yeah. are you yeah. a homie or not? Right. And yeah. are you gonna, and as you know, we won't spoil the film, but there are, there are questions, you know, she gives kind of inklings of that could go either way. Yeah, um, and, and like the mom's character is definitely someone who is like pragmatic, right? Like she gives the excuse that you have to, if you want to live, you have to like play by the rules. Yeah, like don't stir the pot, don't try anything. And I also think it's really interesting that you know not only are they having these conversations in Vietnamese that the father is not privy to, but they're also it's all always happening in the kitchen, which they are mm-hmm. the you know as women the only ones doing the cooking and cleaning for that revolve around these dinner scenes. Um, So there's also like, you know, I was just like patriarchy. Yeah, definitely. Like what's the word? Like, like son favoritism, which is also like a huge issue. Right. Well, well, in in the very beginning, the setup, we don't, we don't know really why, you know, we don't really know how they choose to abduct or like the, the mechanism in which they abduct these um, you know, revolving door of women to play daughter, but it's very clearly framed as we need to help son. Like the son needs a sibling. Son needs a misses his sister, and 
so all of this is for benefit of the son um who like everyone's like you have to do everything possible like to the extreme which i think is very true in a lot of asian families or patriarchal families we're not the only folks Mm -hmm. that are patriarchal (laughs) but just like you know like asking every single person to sacrifice specifically the daughter or older daughters to sacrifice for the benefit of the golden son right um yeah, Marvin. Well, I guess you have no sisters, but <laughs> if you had a sister, yeah, Marvin. And Han, you have brothers, so I, I only have another sister. I have so. two brothers, and hey. they're both, well, one is older than I am. The other is a twin, but he was born 10 minutes ahead, so that's they count him as older. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy anyway. So it, it was an interesting thing because growing up with these two brothers, uh, uh, the ways that my mom would keep saying like she's feminist but then still like favor them and I would call her out on it it would just be like well then why are they getting paid more than I am for these chores or why is it and it's like and then they're like well it's because you know they're older and I'm like but I'm doing the same amount I of work I have a twin I know right. and the whole like being like a twin that's like that's like a scientific experiment right where you're controlling every other factor like age yeah yeah and and, and it's also like the type of chore um, breakdown was you know I didn't want to serve tea I hated I hated domestic sort of shit like that and so I was like I'd rather mow the lawn and my brothers didn't mm-hmm. want to mow, mow the lawn but yeah so there's there's a, definitely a lot of stuff going on when it came to gender in my family and <laughs> um, the fact that they are married with kids and I am still single I think my mom has given up on me <laughs> you know living the best um, life Truly. Well, it's kind of the best. Yeah, then they just they stop bothering you. <laughs> except that then I think they assume that I'm going to take care of mom. <laughs> so, um... yeah, 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 yeah. Even though I'm living in a different state. But regardless, like, I'm I'm not not going to take care of her. But uh, it's there's there's all these sort of like dynamics going on. Yeah. I mean, that is to say, um, this film definitely works on a lot of different levels, especially if you take into account the the makeup of the cast and really impressed because sometimes, you know, you don't get this level of nuance when the writer director isn't of like Asian or Vietnamese descent. So like props to um, Corey Deshaun for being able to pull it off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, no. I mean, you could tell he's just not his first, even if he's like not a well-known filmmaker, you could very much tell that. He knows what he's doing. Some of those shots are like just I'm just thinking about all those, you know, in the beginning when when she's still chained in the garage, just like all these shots through door frames and and just the light hitting, you know, and again, like I think this shot was shot in like 11 days. So, you know, they were fucking flying. Um, not a lot of time to do reshoots. So and anytime you're using natural light, that's terrible and he's got on record you know you know there, we have some natural light in the garage but they were really building around this house and what they had um and so kind of creating this claustrophobic setting uh was really smart to tell this claustrophobic story um, and that I hope that, you know, that probably gave them some leeway about like, you know, set dressing outside and light and and because um, nothing if you've ever shot anything, nothing's worse than when you're like, fuck, we're losing sun setting, sun setting. We've got to hurry or sun's in a different position now. <laughs> and I'm just going to share some random thought like and I, I told 
this to you two when I was watching it is when I was younger, when Starship Troopers came out, I actually did for a second think that maybe Casper Van Dien might be partly Vietnamese <laughs> because of his name, Van and Dien. But, uh, <laughs> and then when he, you know, got cast in this movie, I was like, wait, is he? <laughs> like, you know how like some people are hidden Asian? Um, but uh, no. today Han <laughs> learns about Dutch people. <laughs> But I almost kind of want now there to be a Dutch person who marries a Vietnamese person. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, um, you know, there are Dutch, a lot of Dutch Indonesians like Mark Pogeltier. Yeah. So that's that's fair. That's not out of pocket. Right, right. So and, no. and Eddie Van Halen, who was Asian too. Yeah. Van Halen. Yeah. So But not Vietnamese yeah, that's, Asian. No, in the Indonesian. Yeah. I mean, you know. We are here because you were there, right? That's just the nature of the, the modern colonialism. World. <laughs> it, yes. it, it's also just the way we read names because I will always read names with a Vietnamese sort of tint, <laughs> regardless. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's as far as we'll go for now. Um, we'll be discussing some of the twists and turns in our spoiler zone after um, the credits. But um, before we get there, um, I guess to wrap up our regular discussion, we should ask is daughter good pop um yeah i i think you could tell that i really like this i think it is surprising i try we tried not to spoil too much even the experience of watching it i think there's a lot going on when it comes to just enjoying the dialogue and just sort of like sitting in this weird claustrophobic environment and noticing all the little details. Um, it, it is a small film. It's sort of like a play, I feel like, where you everything is fraught with meaning and has more weight. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yes, I mean, it is a indie film that did not make me want to scratch my eyes out. <laughs> so we love that. I, as much as like I personally am like, don't get indie film a lot of times, I like really respect it. And I really, you know, understand the immense undertaking um, that that to get a film like this off the like any film off the ground, let alone when you're when you're self producing. So yeah, no, it was really great. I hope we get to see more from Corey. And you know, I I I've known Viv for a few years now, and she is really talented. And I feel like there's no reason like the the roles shouldn't be coming like. It's just always down to the same thing. It's just like there's just so few like meaty roles mm. for folks who look like us or, you know, in that vein to play. It's always, They're always going to cast like a mid-level hot blonde woman. Um, you know, we've watched a lot of pilots where it's just like, <laughs> why did you get cast? You're really bad or like you're not great. Like I know better actors than you. You know, they just get the chances and it's just... Um, and not just that, but just also just women in general tend to not get to play very interesting roles. So, you know, if it indie films where it's at, I, I highly respect it. I say, yes, let's keep doing it. Um, I wish I wish the larger film industry was a little more indie again. Um, but we, we yeah. So so that's all to say, yes, more like this, more indies that don't that aren't super self-indulgent, indulgent <laughs> suck fests. Uh, so yes, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely also thought this was good pop. Um, it was def- like like Jess said, um, it is you know indie genre film is something that I've always enjoyed because they get to do like different things, right? And I definitely feel like as a um, features programmer at a film festival, 
seeing a independent film be this tight. I know, right? Great. I I wish we could program this. It's already out. <laughs> I wish we could program this. I'm yeah. sad this didn't do the like. Well, I don't know if it would qualify because Corey's not an Asian director, even mm. though the content and the cast is very Asian. But I'm like, damn, like this would have been a great film festival film. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you're looking for just something to put on with, it's definitely like. Like, um, yeah, I mean, we watched this as a group together, and I definitely think that also enhanced the experience because the thing with horror films, it's, it's way more fun if you're watching with other people so you can all react to some of the um, kind of fucked up things that happen <laughs> during the film. Yes. Um, and this is definitely a film that I think, you know, it works on a lot of different levels. And you know, if you watch it with a um, with your Asian friends, you'll definitely catch things that, you know, you might not otherwise. And definitely it's, it's just a great watch. Um, unfortunately, it is like it is pay VOD, so you have you have to rent it from like say Vudu or Amazon in order to watch it. But it's definitely worth it if you're worth looking for something to watch on your at your next um, like friends movie night. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, with that, that'll do it for our spoiler free discussion of daughter um if you've already seen the film or you're gonna go out and watch it right now um come back and join us after the credits um, we're gonna go into some more spoilery topics because man there's some things that we need to unpack from the film um but um before we get there i guess um just han if people want to find out more of your thoughts um, where can they go still on twitter at just you tweets yeah, uh, I'm still there too, anonymous. I like how like week by week it gets more sad and we get more sad about that. So yeah. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. There's no here. alternative yet. There's no alternative yet. We're looking, we're looking. <laughs> yeah. Despite the taking away the two-factor authentication for uh, the non-blue check or the non-paying, uh, I'm still there. <laughs> You can find me at Marvin Yeah, uh, You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, again, stick around after the break for our spoiler zone discussion of Daughter. Um, but until then, um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. All right, welcome back to the 
good pop culture club spoiler zone for Daughter, where for the next few minutes we'll be um, discussing all um, plot-related elements from the film. And yeah, I guess to start off, uh, Jess, I have to ask, what would you have done with the murder child? I merely would not have taken the murder child with me and been like, I'm out, good luck. Maybe like when I'm in safety, like, call somebody and be like, hey, there's a murder kid. Like, there's a kid. He's he's kind of <laughs> fucked up. Be careful. He's got a hammer. Um, but, you know, like, you got Stockholm, girl. You should have you should have been a little stronger. You know, that's that's <laughs> where that's where you lost me. I did like that. They left it pretty open. But I think I feel like all three of us can predict where this is going, right? Because that boy has been indoctrinated by his father's not only bullshit, but also that toxic masculinity, right? I feel like that was like the only like that was like the one B or like the one character choice that like I, I really had a hard time grasping the when when daughter, you know, in the escape like mm-hmm. tries like like she just saw him ice or hammer his dad who he loved admired respected feared like you don't think like there were like there was like literally like a million other options bef- like rather than like taking him with you on the truck and with while bringing the hammer and then also like turning your back to him like like fine if you must take child if you must take your brother son um you know make sure there are no weapons He's smaller than you. I think he could have. She could have taken him on in like a fight, like a like a one on one fight. Well, I but think the like, I think the implication was the hammer was already in the car because that's the car they take to go murder daughter and, when they run away. The, the last but, daughter. Okay, yeah, that's a mistake. You should always make sure there's no weapons that someone can bludgeon you to. Like it's literally life and death. You don't think you're not gonna do a quick scan <laughs> while like homies passed out in the back. That being said, though, I feel like it is consistent with the character because um, we like I think out of out of out of like out of the two female characters, mother and daughter, mother was definitely better at surviving than daughter ever was. Right. Because daughter kept trying to push and like rebel when when like when (laughs) rebelling is actually detrimental to you surviving. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely read that as like a generational difference of between like, you know, immigrant mother, immigrant generation, especially like those who fled war and are refugees versus like, you know, they're American born children who are a little idealistic and, you know, have different values or, you know, the age old. Um, But I I guess if I go down that route, though, then it makes it seems like her empathy becomes a weak point. And her desire of family becomes a weak point, which maybe that's what the movie's trying to say because she's it's hinted that the daughter is estranged from her biological family. So, you know, maybe in this fucked up way she does says has a sense I mean, she spent so much time with son that there is maybe a tr- off true bond form. But like again, you just saw this man, this boy, fucking hammer his dad's head in. Like, I'm sorry, like be a little smart, girl. Like, don't, do you not have, like, this... I feel like... And, and as a woman, like... Uh, I feel like women are, from a young age, whether they're explicitly taught to or not, have a deep sense of, 
like fear safety ingrained into them. Like, don't do this, don't do that, don't wear this, watch out, because because we kind of know if anything bad happens to us, it's our fault. So, like, whether or not you want to or not, you're just like, like, I walk in the middle of the street in the middle of the night if I'm walking alone, because that feels safer than mm-hmm. walking near, like, on sidewalks where there's bushes and dark corners. Like, back, especially back in college when, like, I wasn't driving all the time. So I just walk in the middle of the street. And, you know, you you, you don't walk with headphones in, and you don't... You keep your keys between your fingers and all that shit. So it's just like, it seems disingenuous that she would be so laissez about like this dangerous situation, having survived so much else. Yeah, definitely a horror movie ass decision at the end there. Yeah, I mean, she was frustrating me from the start. But of course, without her doing these sort of boneheaded things, there would be no movie, There's I no guess. Movie. Yeah. But um yeah, because at the very beginning when um father is, you know, shackling her in his garage and she keeps resisting like whatever he's saying and she's just like, just tell me where I am. Who are you? What, what's going on? And I'm just like, just listen to what he's saying and say, oh, I get it. And you just nod and you agree. And then once you get your chance, then you get out of there. But um, so I think you're right. I don't think she has this sort of self-preservation skills that I feel like most of us would have. Um, like 100% just identifying this guy crazy and when it comes to crazy, that means dangerous. So you have to kind of go with it. And since brother was fully inculcated, you know, with her, with father's sort of like mentality, he is also dangerous, even though he looks innocent. Um, we saw him get kind of angry once when they were playing a board game because she wasn't doing it right exactly like the rules. And I was just like, oh, you definitely, you know, he's a yeah, believer. Yeah. yeah, that kid has mm-hmm. bad vibes for sure. Yeah, he's a yeah. believer and believers are very scary. So I definitely agree at the end. Like I would have even if she had, you know, created some sort of bond or felt something for him. There are ways to help him where you don't have to be the one to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like there's so many other options. Like go down the mountain, call somebody like he will survive like however many hours it takes in the house like you know he's also not going anywhere because he thinks mm-hmm. the air is poisonous so like you know i'm not i'm i'm not pro police here but you know call someone <laughs> yes call child services call call someone who actually has better skills than she does to take care of a teenage boy i think he's teenage i don't know if he's 20s or something but yeah, yeah. I, just, I mean that's assuming they're still like services out in the world because one thing that this film also does is you don't know if this is post-apocalypse or if there's still a society out there, right? Because the whole entire film takes place in the middle of nowhere and I, you're told by father that things are yes. messed up out there. Yes, but but then but then right before the like we like right before that scene where, you know, they're 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 she's driving the truck, like we do learn that the world is fine. Oh, that's true. We did see the, um, we see the an museum, art gallery. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so we can and we see the you know mother who is my favorite character in this, yes. by the way. Uh, we could talk about her. We could do a whole ode to her, and and Elise is fantastic in this movie. Um, like you know, she's running out there and she's fine. Oh, Elise, a uh, mother slash um Sylvie 
definitely Sylvie, yes. is the winner. She's the only, daughter. she's the only, yeah, exactly. She's the only named character. So again, we're in the spoiler zone. Well, so, I mean, you know, the daughter's name she, is we found, Kathleen, we learned too. No, Catherine. Catherine Wynn. Quinn. Yeah. But so it is interesting. Yeah. yeah, they're the only one. They're the the two women are the ones named down the line. Like, even if you were a crazy dude who wanted this family, don't you give your son a name? Like, what just what what sort of weird cult is this? It, that was the other thing is like trying to figure out the parameters of what sort of lie he was telling his son, um, and he was creating besides you know the air being poisonous, like. He were, there were other mysterious things that he was doing with son, like taking his blood and storing it. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> um, and then also making son paint things, oil paintings, and then taking them and selling them possibly to a gallery. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> again, different layers, right? Like there's that the, the child exploitation part of it. There's also the, you know, I, you know, it's hard to watch the whole like religious homeschool education without thinking about all like those alt-right families trying to ban books that have any characters that aren't white in public schools. Well, I guess I think that they also ask like, because we are never really given full answers, we get like the parameters of this like cult or, or his beliefs. It's also like, what's scarier? Like someone who truly believes or someone who knows it's bullshit, but is using it to control others. And I don't really know where father falls on that spectrum. Yeah, I I will say, even though it was frustrating because this is not the way I would have played it, it was fun to see daughter slash Catherine push back at father and call out some of his bullshit. Like, no, he makes up stories or he takes stories and like as if they are his own and pretends they are his. And, and son's like, what? <laughs> like, is that a thing? <laughs> These are father's stories. Uh, so, uh, you know... Uh, I like the little bit of rebellion. I wouldn't have done it, but better her than me. <laughs> so, um, That's yeah. true. The whole like subplot of him repurposing the story of Romulus and Remus. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's just Rome. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was so great. Um, um, what did you think about that um, musical interlude in the middle? Because I, I, I think if... Like I think that was the one thing in this entire script I felt was was a little bit self indulgenty. Like I, I was fine I with it. Like, like I I I liked the fact that it was extended and that we were like, what the fuck is going on? And then kept saying what what? Um, I I just took it as this was how in their minds, or at least in um, brothers or sons' mind, that this was how awesome it was. <laughs> and what? And then of course when they cut away to re- the quote-unquote reality we just see that they have a little bit of tinfoil on their clothes um so yeah i just think that in his mind it was this amazing production that like did all these cool things which were very 80s by the way it wasn't even like contemporary like coolness um because of like the side ponytail she had or something um and the the makeup but yeah it did go on a little bit longer than maybe i expected it to but i was fine with it (laughs) Eh, it's an indie film. If not, get a little weird. What's why not get a little weird? <laughs> and and then that way they didn't have to actually write the play that they were presenting, which was set in Kentucky. I I was so confused about this thing. So it, I think it was a nice sort of like way of getting around it. Yeah, yeah. 
like it was the one thing that was a little bit draggy just because it, yeah. it went on it, for a while. It, it, it can definitely be divisive, I think. Um, once you watch it and you you'll probably have an opinion on it. Yeah. But it does lead up to the climax where um, Sylvie slash mother smashes father's head in with a violin. <laughs> Which oh, my is, God. W- uh, ha- having taken violin lessons i have to say oh yeah i wish i could have done that uh but also she didn't hit him hard enough or enough times yeah oh, i'm like okay. sun, there's some finish the job so it's all good i mean oh, you know like i'm the first thing i'm is like a violin is not the best thing to hit someone over the head with like there's a chair there's a lamp but like there's many blood <laughs> objects in this room i mean i get but, why she did it you know symbolism part of her but, like <laughs> prison but yes she should have followed it up with something heftier <laughs> but my and my very very favorite is just that shot of just her running down the hill <laughs> in her cute little outfit just like getting the fuck out like again she knows she she knows what's up she's gonna survive um just just so much smarter <laughs> <laughs> she was a cool yeah that sequence was probably my favorite is because I mean, maybe this is also why the musical interlude was just so bizarre was for you to like kind of be taken unawares of what was going to come next um, tonally and which is a lot of violence. And then like this sort of weird comedic, you know, this uh, moment where mom's like, by the way, my 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 name is Sylvie and like run, especially or run and get out of here. And then she takes off <laughs> um, in her nice dress and her little pretty curls. So, yeah. I thought that was a great moment. <laughs> yeah. Same. All right. God Any speaks. last thoughts on um, on daughter before we call it? I don't think I, mean, I have just a, no. props props to the team for. I mean, like, like I cannot like. They're probably like short films made with more money, you know. <laughs> uh, so so respect for getting it out. And getting it done and getting it out, and some of those uh, wide shots were really, really awesome. Um, you know, the movie starts with like this big wide shot, just someone running, uh, which I think set the tone so, so well. And I'm just like, I think that, and, and the first daughter who gets hammered, um, that's not a euphemism. Literally, she gets <laughs> killed by a hammer. Just want to make that clear. Uh, is is played by Megan Lay. And I'm just like, she's a real good runner. So also shouts to Megan Lay. Fantastic runner. I, I I wonder if it is her or they have like a stunt person, but like just so fast, so graceful. Cause we just got one wide shot on that hill and like she's just zooming across that screen. So yeah. props. So I guess with that, that'll do it for our discussion of daughter. Now now streaming on um VOD platforms everywhere. Um yeah. Jess Han, thanks again for joining us and We'll see you all next time on Good Pop. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye.